Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk, coming to you from the New Park Hotel in Kilkenny in conjunction with our friends in Marks and Spencers. Fanula Jones, Leslie Williams, and Brian Lloyd are here uh, uh, for Movies and Booze. Thank you all. Uh, and Leslie. It's French wine we're talking about It is about today. French wine. Although the first wine probably doesn't look that French because it's in a kind of a Germanic bottle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, France is still the mother country. It's, it's still the place we all look to where every single wine world maker, winemaker in the world looks to France at some level. I mean, France kind of created wine as we know it and it created the, the whole system of how vines are structured, how they're tied and so on. A lot of that kind of work comes from France. I mean, French barrels are still by far the most common barrel that I use because they needed loads of forests for their wars and building ships and so on. So best managed forests in the world. So French barrels are used, French techniques are used. The French Appalachian laws created in the 1930s, they basically are the benchmark for every single wine law in the world. Um, and in the 80s and 90s, it kind of lost a bit of coolness because the New World guys were coming along and making mm. clean French wines. But they've sorted that out, and France is again at, at right at the forefront. Natural wine movement, which everyone I'm sure has been hearing about, if not necessarily drinking, um, is massive all over the world. And in Berlin, Paris, New York, Galway, Cork, uh, all the cities certainly, um, those, were, those techniques and that style of wine came from France. I mean, it was Beaujolais and the Loire and so on. But first wine tonight, now, some of you are probably going to find this a little, a little sweeter than you would like. Um, it is a richer style of wine. It's a Gewürztraminer from Alsace, which is French. I mean, it kind of... Mm, that's began- debatable. I know. Uh, depending but, which side of which war you're well, talking I, about. Well, I looked it up. So the, the Treaty of Westphalia is in 1641 was when it became mostly French. Okay. And then, but they lost it again back to Germany in the Franco-Prussian War in 1870. So it was German until uh, 1919, when after the... Germans lost the First World War, it became French again. And then in 1940, when it was occupied, it became German. And then after that, after that war, it became French again. But it is... Okay, <laughs> at the moment, it's a, uh, so at the moment it's a French wine. Yeah, yeah. anyway. <laughs> so look, it, it is Gewürztraminer. It is a grape only really grown in Alsace and a bit of Germany. Um, it is floral. It is lychees, rose petals, kind of uh, Turkish delight almost. Um, it, it should be served quite cold. We had to pour the wine out a little early to get it onto your table, so it may have warmed up slightly. But So if you are uh, looking at this, do serve it cold. Um, this is from the Cave de Turkheim, one of the best co-ops in, in Alsace, a wine you know, which I've often bought from. As I say, it's a little fruitier, but as Aaron Kapoor was saying, this would be perfect with all the spicy foods that he was serving. Mm. It works really well with Thai and chi- Chinese foods and, and, and anything with spice, basically. I mean, because the, the little bit of sweetness will also tone down any kind of chilli heat. And so it just works really, really well with, uh, with any kind of aromatic, rich foods and so on. And I love it with them. Um, this is going to sound weird, but I really like it with bacon. <laughs> With bacon. Salty bacon. Yeah. Salty okay. bacon sandwich and a glass of Gewurz Traumler, I'm telling you that. So when you yeah. sit up for the fry up in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, it's, along with champagne, it's the other breakfast wine I recommend. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. There's, there's a plan for the weekend. Right. Uh, that's lovely, Leslie. Thanks very much for uh, telling us about that. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. 087-1400-106 is our WhatsApp number. You can uh, send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com or follow us on Twitter. We are coming to you today from the New Park Hotel in Kilkenny with thanks to our friends Marks and Spencers. And that was uh, Dave Lofts and Sand with Walkout. You can, uh, you can, if you'd like to check out that song again, 
you can find it on YouTube. Brian and Fanula and uh, Leslie are still with us uh, up, up in the big stage. Um, Fanula, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, as we all know, is 17 hours long, but mm-hmm. there is an owl in it, apparently. There's a J- Jenny the Donkey found rotting, but it's all about Ely the owl, who's in this movie, apparently, for just one scene. At one point, she, I haven't seen it yet, but I can't wait to see it. Her job was to fly into a house through an open window, um, and her trainer, or her owner, Jonathan Meeks, had to, like, train her because... She's fond of the food and she wouldn't do the scene if she was, this is a direct quote, feeling full and plump, which is very relatable to me. I relate to this owl, uh, Ely. Um, but according to Scorsese producers, um, she nailed it on set. So keep an eye out for Ely, who probably makes up 0.03% of this movie, given how long it is. So. Yeah, and uh, you've seen it, Brian. Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. yeah. Uh, too long. It's a very powerful scene. No, not at all. Like, I mean, it's Scorsese. Like, Goodfellas was three hours long. Casino was three hours long. But you don't feel it when you're watching it, like... So. Okay, and did you notice the owl? Oh, I did, oh yeah, it's a, bit, it's a very big scene in it. Like, I mean, you're right, it is only like five seconds in it, but when you see it, it's kind of... But she killed it. it. They're terrifying. Do you not find owls terrifying? <laughs> they are a bit weird. No, she's so, there's photos in this interview that Donovan I'm sure it's did. cute, look. But she like, is divine. She's yeah. divine, and he is like honing pigeons otherwise, and I wouldn't be a fan of pigeons, but she is but very But you know gorgeous. the way they can turn their heads kind of on yeah, 360 yeah. degrees? And it's the big cool. eyes yeah. as well, yeah. yeah and like, it's weird. a symbol of death in the film as well, anyway. Oh. So, again, that's kind of... Not a buzz. Yeah. Okay, oh, that's not fun. And Sofia Coppola uh, almost directed Twilight. That yeah. would have been a completely different movie. Yeah, I really would have loved to have seen Sofia Coppola's take on Twilight, but alas. Yeah, she had a meeting about doing the last Twilight movie, which was Breaking Dawn, which for anyone who's not familiar with the Twilight series overall, it's about a girl who falls in love with a vampire and all chaos ensues. And the last movie kind of uh, follows, uh, not their wedding, They've, they're married at that point, but at this point they have a child and it's one of the most horrifying animatronic CGI child's children in the history of cinema, I would say, Renesmee. Yeah. It's horrific. She said that th- she had one meeting with some, someone entertainment who was the company behind it and said it never went anywhere but she also found elements of the plot like kind of disturbing so again for anyone unfamiliar um the child is imprinted on by bella's friend who is a werewolf this makes me sound absolutely insane i'm watching the faces in the room just no reaction at all the werewolf her werewolf friend jacob imprints on the child so is like i need to be with this child no matter what i'm with this child forever and sophia coppola was like respectfully i decline but i didn't realize she was also supposed to do the live action little mermaid that came out earlier this year oh. but she said she found the meetings for that really frustrating because apparently the head honchos were like we need the little mermaid to appeal to older men and again sophia coppola was uh... like no absolutely not but she also wanted it to be more Dark Hans Christian Andersen, Little yeah. Mermaid, as opposed to it wasn't to Grace. No, no, yeah, it's not Grace. It wasn't yeah. Grace. I don't think she could have done anything with it. In fairness, yeah. or Breaking Dawn, for that matter. Yeah. Do you remember the Irish people in Breaking Dawn? That, the Irish vampires. The Irish vampires yes. in Breaking Dawn. I remember seeing the premiere of Breaking Dawn, and the entire cinema just broke out laughing when they came on screen, like literally wearing like flannel caps and like raglan shirts. Like it was, it was like. It was amazing. I've never seen. I've never seen the cinema spontaneously burst into laughter when they shouldn't. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Terrible. Oh. <laughs> um, 
is it like a party kind of frat no, kind of thing? It's a, it was based on a video game. Um, oh. Yeah, so that was... A yeah. good video game, I would yeah. say. A good video, a yeah, good in game. fairness, yeah. a great video game. But yeah, so this is... Do you want me to go through the whole plot? Or? No, no, we'll come back to it. And the yeah. Pigeon Tunnel? The Pigeon Tunnel, yeah, it's a documentary about uh, John Le Carre, the author John Le Carre. Ah, right. Yeah, which is really, really good. And it's directed by Errol Morris, who people would know from The Thin Blue Line. He okay. also did The Fog of War, great documentary. Okay, all right, that's uh, to look forward to. Let's move on to our second wine, Leslie. So, second wine is uh, a rosé, and uh, France kind of traditionally is the place you go for rosé. And so Provence is what we all love and what everyone is hoping to get, Côte de Provence, and Bandol would be the best, well, the best rosés in the world are from Bandol in Provence. So this is actually, though, Mediterranean, Med- Mediterranean, has anyone French better than mine? It's um, Mediterranean. <laughs> yeah. that. Well, it's it is spelled M E. Well, yeah, it's Mediterranean. Anyway, it, it's an IGP, so it's it's like a, a small kind of large regional uh, um, Appalachian, but it's lower than an Appalachian, so there's a lot more freedom into what grapes you can use and in what kind of you know production you can do. It's basically though Provence. I mean, it is Provence, but extending into the Rhone, so it's mm. the coast all along the southeast there, basically. So um, it's as you can see, it's, not, it's really pale. Um, so pale, actually, I rejected my glass, thinking I was being brought a glass of white wine the second time <laughs> it's so because it, but that's pale is good pale is what we want these days um um and it's got lovely sort of uh, sort of peachy fruits and, and it's dry i mean i know it initially will taste a little sweet but the, the finish is dry there's only a couple of grams of sugar in this if, if any i would say um and again i, I know it's not quite rosé weather but honestly rosé again is great with with food with with, with spicy food again because of that touch of roundness you get when you taste it first mm. um where did that rosé weather thing come from anyway i don't know yeah but i've heard it said like if we don't get a good may rosé sales just take a nosedive for the rest of the summer because really? everyone starts yeah. buying it in may <laughs> Apparently, uh-huh. and if you don't get a good May, then you don't sell much for the rest of the year. Now, that's changing. I mean, rosé, it should be mentioned, by the way, in France, is one in every three bottles sold. Like, that mm. sells red wine, yeah, you know? yeah. which is amazing when we think about yeah. it, you know. Um, and, by the way, that, you know, as to why do they drink a lot of it in rosé in, in Provence, it's because the, the food there is garlicky, olives, all those strong flavours. And rosé is perfect for cutting through those because you've got the bit of fruit that can cope with the, with the strong flavours. And then they're also dry. And so it's, it's perfect with things like, um, um, you know, well, like garlicky and aioli and things that, you know, with lots of garlic and uh, mm. capers and, and olives, you know. Yeah. But I was thinking about that, Gavertsam, but we have a, a relation of the people who make this wine, uh, the Cave de Turkheim. So there's a Schlumberger in the audience, which is another great Alsace producer. And she also has Turkheim in, in her background. She's just telling me here a second ago. So, yeah, Alsace royalty, it would seem to me, is in our audience. It's in our audience. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if she wants to identify herself. I can't. I can, yeah. <laughs> or is it you? Is no, you're not wearing your crown today. <laughs> no. <laughs> We can't hear what you're saying because you have the <laughs> microphone. Hang on just a minute. You can, you can hone your words while Sinead bounds over to you. She's doing a great job. She's made it at the finish. Yay! No, the wrong woman. There you go, there. So, yeah. so my, my, mother, my mother was French and um, on both sides of her family, they all came from Alsace. Right. Um, in 1877, my, um, my great-grandfather, Jean Schlomberger, was born and his brothers were all born in Alsace and we have copies of their birth certs all in German ah, and then see um, you told you Leslie yeah. and then <laughs> in their 20s they decided no we're going to be French and then I have copies of all the documents where they changed nationality and they declared Become themselves French, French. oh wow Great. and is, is there a winemaking connection in your family yes there is so um 
the Schlumberger people who make the wine are... We have the family tree going back to uh, 13-something. And I'm trying to link us to the wine people. They're sort of... We all join up somewhere up here, but I'm not sure how the branches go further down. You're not getting free bottles in the post? uh, uh, No, but I'm going to visit them and I'm going to make sure they know I'm a Schlumberger. And are you from Kilkenny? Sorry? Are you from Kilkenny? No, Dublin. You're from Dublin, right. And how did your family end up in Dublin? Uh, my father is, uh, was born in Dublin, mm. and my mother was French. So she, he, he, before he decided to do what he did, she, he thought he'd <laughs> what be... What did he do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a story there you may not want to share, though. He was a psychiatrist. Right, OK. Um, he went to Paris to be an artist, he decided. Oh. And he met my mother there. Oh, God. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah it's good. Yeah, when people tell stories like that, I really feel like a peasant. Yeah. One of the famous houses is Trimbach, um, and I think their wines are since 1607. So a lot of the Alsace houses go back really, really long ways. They're some of the oldest wineries in continuous hands. Um, but uh, I think the great-grandfather was born German, became French, went, became German, became French, and literally like, changed nationality four or five times in yeah. his lifetime, which is kind of... <laughs> that is, yeah, that is yeah. fascinating. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Right, our first movie of the day is Five Nights at Freddy's. Here's a clip. Welcome to Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, where fantasy and fun come to life. Hit it, guys. If you're watching this video, it means you've been selected as Freddy's newest security guard. Hello? What the hell are you? (laughs) Okay, that was uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Uh, Now, the the audience here in the New Park Hotel could, could see visuals for the listeners... It looked like a security card being chased by an animatronic bunny. Yeah. Uh, please tell me this is a comedy. No. No. And it would have been so much better if it had been a comedy. That's the problem with this. Yeah. It takes itself way too seriously. It spends like, you know, obviously it's based on a video game. And, you know, for anyone who's played the, that uh, video game, you know, you can play these things for like 30, 40 hours. So there's much more time to kind of, you know, get through the story and the exposition and the plot and the themes and all the rest of it. But when it's a film like this, you have to condense it down to two hours-ish. And in this, they try to kind of ram it all together. But what happens is that you have to suffer through, you know, 
30 se- you get 30 seconds of kind of, ooh, something scary and fun for 40 minutes of really bad acting and terrible exposition and just clunky, clunky dialogue. Um, Josh Hutcherson, who people would know from The Hunger Games, uh, he plays the, the new security guard that replaced that poor sap over there. Mm. Um, he sent in, finds all these um, sort of orientation videotapes and learns that the, um, the place that they're staying in, Freddy Fazbear's, hides a dark secret and that the person who owns it has been keeping it going and keeping the lights on because um, you know they have some sort of ulterior motive which when you're watching it you're kind of watching and you're thinking I bet it's that and then 20 minutes in it's like yeah it's that and then you go another 40 minutes and you think I bet you this happens and then bam that happens like it's so predictable it's so generic and yeah, and it's not scary. It's like it's like a PG thirteen as well. So it's not even like it doesn't even have that sort of grim sort of satisfaction of seeing something really gross. You're not mm. even grossed out by it and entertained in it that way. Uh, it, what game is it based on? Five Nights at Freddy's. Is the oh, name that's the, the game. and it's a whole series. Game. Yeah, there's like about five or six of them. Like they're very very popular. Like yeah, but this is terrible though. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, but like, and like, but who, who do you think? If it's only PG, uh, is it aimed at kids? I mean, like fifteen-year-olds, I guess. Like, because mm. that would be the kind of the people that would have played. I mean, obviously, you know, there are people my age who would have played it as well and stuff. But like, it is kind of like eighteen, nineteen, fifteen, sixteen-year-olds that would be playing it. Like, and you know, like the thing with horrors is they're trying to always appeal to the m- most amount of people possible. So like, they will try to kind of sand down the edges and kind of shape it so that it will fit mm. in PG-13 audience. And obviously as well we're coming into Halloween as well, so they're thinking get as many people. Oh, ka-ching, right. Okay. Yeah. But it doesn't even seem like it's very horror-y. No, I mean that's it, like they try to, like the first like I would say 25 minutes of it is this very very boring drama about Josh Hutcherson, you know, that he lost uh, a sibling and has been haunted by that for years and now feels this protection over his uh, younger sister. And he has an aunt that's trying to get custody of the child. And you're just like, I don't care about any of this. Just get to the scary part. Like, mm. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I know that they're trying to like layer it and give it a sort of like an emotional base and everything else and make you connect with it. But Josh Hutcherson couldn't act his way out of a paper bag. And that just doesn't. No, he's he's a really bad actor. Like yeah, he's a, okay. He's a terrible actor. Like yeah, yeah. He's oh a God. really really bad actor. And you're watching this like I I don't believe anything you're saying. And you're just you're spending more time at this. Why is Why he getting parts then if he's such a terrible actor? He's not. This is like the first time oh, I've God, seen him right. in okay. years. Like, yeah. Like since Hunger Games, I think this is the only thing I've seen him in. He might have been on like CSI or something like that. I don't know. Like maybe some TV stuff. Yeah. But this is the first thing I've seen him in in years. And it's it reminded me why I haven't seen him in years. Oh, God. Yeah. It's right. really bad. Is it in cinemas? Yeah. It, right. Avoid it. Okay. Is it, is it like in cinemas for five minutes and then it's going to be on the streamer? Or God, th- God willing, yes. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. Okay. Like, I mean, it'll probably, like, it's really, like, I, it's terrible. Like, it's one, it's, it's awful. Don't go see it. Okay. The am movie. I, am, I, am I being clear? Like, yeah, I think you are. I think we all know where he stands here. We do. We get yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, do I keep going? Like, I'll, I'll keep ripping it apart. Like, oh, I know. So I feel bad. Because cinema and like, Kikini's like, like, dear news talk. <laughs> we had to lay off three employees because of that review. The, uh, the killer that better we, films. Yeah, the, the killer that we uh, don't have a, a clip of. Yes, is, is this is actually, good? yes, yeah. this is really good. Yeah. So this is directed by David Fincher, who did Gone Girl. He did Zodiac. He did uh, Fight Club. Brilliant, brilliant director. Did Panic Room as well. What's going on in this is Michael Fassbender plays this professional killer um, who botches a 
job in Paris and is then followed by the people who actually hired him. Now, you're kind of thinking that sounds like every single assassin film, like John Wick and all the rest. Mm. But what's different about this is, is that it actually kind of has this really dark sense of humour in it. Because, you know, if you look at something like John Wick, for example, it's set up in this Byzantine world and they have rituals and they have the suits and it all looks really cool and all mm. the rest of it. In this, it almost revels in the fact that it's so mundane. Like, when he has to, you know, buy this, like, card to get into a billionaire's apartment, he literally orders the thing on Amazon and he goes to a box <laughs> to pick it up. And when he's casing this target, he, like, stops off in a Starbucks and gets a coffee and then he, like, follows him into this, like, Equinox gym and stuff. So it's like, like Fight Club. It's that idea of there are absolute perverts and freaks in the world around us, but they just are hidden very, very well, and Michael Fassbender is one of them. Um, the action sequences are done really well. You would expect that from David Fincher. Like He has such a strong grasp of pacing and editing and all the rest of it. And the one thing I would say about this is, is that you're watching it and you're kind of hoping for like some big explosion or some kind of... like quip or something and it doesn't give it to you and that's almost better in a way like the withholding of it it never kind of fully resolves itself in a big emotional finish it's just Mm. that thing of okay if you're a professional killer chances are you are completely dead on the inside and everyone else who does this job is completely dead on the inside and the people who hire professional killers are also dead on the inside so what's a film like with people who are just completely reprehensible being together, and that's what this film is. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I really, I really did enjoy it. Like, it's not as satisfying, I would say, as John Wick, mm. but it's still really, really good. And it's Michael Fassbender is great, and he's been away for a few years. He has, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, has, um, a, is this in cinemas, or is this on This is in select cinemas, but it'll be on Netflix on the 10th of November. Okay, all right. Now, Check that out. a film I really want to see, I, I don't know if they've made this yet, the one uh, Olivia Colman uh, stars as a smelly fisherwoman who builds a husband out of sticks. I, That's uh, entertainment. I am. Um, no, read this logline, right? So it's, I think it's out for international sales now, but it's called Wicker. It's like this twisted romance, as you mentioned. It's Olivia Colman and Dev Patel, who I'm also a big fan of. It's Alex Huston Fisher and Ellen Wilson uh, are directing. And it's based on a short story called The Wicker Husband. And as you said, you kind of summed it up there, but the log line is, on the outskirts of a village by the sea lives a fisherwoman, who is played by Olivia Coleman, smelly, single, and perpetually ridiculed. <laughs> One day, fed up with her stuffy, small-minded neighbours, she commissions herself a husband to be made from Wicker, who is played by Dev Patel. In an otherwise conservative town, this unconventional romance sparks outrage, jealousy, and chaos. I'll have four tickets, please. Just yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I need to see Absolutely. this now. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. Right, uh, we do have to take another break. More movies and booze after this. Let's go to our third wine uh, of the day. Okay, so... And and, and, this is... What's with the child's bottle? <laughs> uh, it is. Um, it is. Well, it's very good value. It's like six fifty, or a, there's a there's some sort of deal where you get it for a fiver. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but it's like it's not expensive. And this is this is claret. I mean, Ireland ran on claret for centuries. It, John, uh, Jonathan Swift called claret. Irish wine, because that's how much we drank. There were five bottle a day, man. It was a normal thing. <laughs> <laughs> we're not recommended. That. Um, but the, the Hellfire Club and all these, this is, yeah. it was claret was what they drank. In fact, there was two books published last year about this phenomenon, about how much we drank. Called, one is uh, by Tara McConnell, one by Patricia McCarthy, who I think you interviewed. Yes. Uh, yeah. Drinking claret in Georgian Ireland is Patricia's one, and Tara's one, which I just saw was on Amazon for about 13. Tara's a bit more academic, but a bit more detailed. Um, it's called Honest Claret. But claret is basically just red Bordeaux. It's just another 
another word for red Bordeaux. It comes from the fact that there is a style of Bordeaux which is a light red called Claret, C-L-A-I-R-E-T. Ah, right. And then that gets shortened to, to Claret. You still see Claret around, but it's, it's kind of like darker than a rosé but lighter than a red, if you know what I mean. It's somewhere in between. Um, but it, we really don't see much of it. It's, it's, it's red we're drinking. Uh, classic Cabernet grapes, sorry, classic Bordeaux grapes, Cabernet Sauvignon, mix with a little bit of Merlot to soften it out, a little bit of Cabernet Franc to add, to add a little bit of sort of herbal notes. I think it's lovely. It's sort of blacker and tea and juicy, bit of chocolate, really kind of just so drinkable for like, and it, like it's, it's a fiver, you know? The other ones, by the way, are about 11, 12 or so each, um, basically, the, the Gewürz, Traminer and the, and the, and there's some sort of thing they're doing where they're a little less expensive at the minute or something. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So. I do like a bit of claret, I must say. Yeah, it's no, it is, nice. it is just, it's grown up wine, as I think you said to me one time. Yes. <laughs> it really and is. Do you say claret or do French people say claret? Oh, but the French would never say claret, oh. ever. And it's only really English people who say it. Right. And we, because we were at the time rule being and we used to say it too. But, um, but then after the Act of Union, when they made Ireland poor again, we couldn't drink it anymore. And so, you know. The act, oh my the gosh. One. Yeah. Well, Ireland went so from drinking <laughs> it now is an act of patriotism. I, I think really. it is. Drink your claret and stick it to the Brits. Yeah. yeah. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how the sponsors will feel about that as, uh, uh, as a slogan. Uh, anyway, we'll move on swiftly. Uh, right, so uh, Beyonce's, uh, Beyonce's big concert field is coming. Yes, yeah. uh, December 1st, you'll be able to go to the Renaissance, Renaissance, whichever way you're inclined, come to cinemas December 1st. Now, a bit different to the Taylor Swift era's concert film. Like, that's just an out and out. We talked about it last week. That's just an out and out concert. Mm. This is going to have some kind of behind the scenes. Uh, Blue Ivy was a big part of the tour, dancing. She features in the documentary how the tour is put together and the staging and all that jazz. So it'll be interesting. There'll be a lot of comparisons drawn, I would imagine, between this when it comes out and the Ayers tour film. And it'll be interesting to see how they track commercially because obviously yeah. the Ayers tour film has made like a gajillion euro at this point. So, But I will also be going to this because I did not get to see the Renaissance tour live. Yeah, it's, so. it's, well, she probably will make nearly a gazillion, but it will be seen perhaps as a failure because it didn't do as well as Taylor Swift. Well, like, that's the thing. I'm trying to compare anything to the gargantuan that she is now, it's, everything's going to pale in comparison. So, But I still think people will turn out for this because, again, Beyonce didn't bring the tour here. So even from an Irish perspective, I, like, I know a lot of people going, so... I know yeah. a few people that travelled, but, like, the majority didn't. So, or, or even if they wanted to, they couldn't get tickets, so... Okay, sure, we'll see. Right, we'll move on to our uh, third movie of the day. It is The Pigeon Tunnel. Here's a clip. My mother was a mystery because it was never properly revealed what had happened to her. Was she dead? Was she alive? I wrote to her brother. He wrote back saying, here's her address. Never tell her that I told you. So I wrote to my mother and said, your brother tells me. So I felt completely unbound by this injunction. Did you imagine her having regrets about leaving you and your brother? Well, when I met her, <laughs> I asked how she felt about it. And she replied, and it was always her reply, that my father had been intolerable to live with, that she got sick of the trail of mistresses he was bringing to the house, that there was never any money passing through, and she didn't like all these crooks coming through his life. She said if, if she had attempted any other measure, he knew so many wonderful lawyers, which indeed he did, that she would never have had a chance in the marital court. 
So she gave up all that stuff and thought she'd just push off. Right. Okay. Mm. So is this a, a, like a bio documentary about kind the of? Array? Yeah, but not in the way that we kind of would expect. Like, it's not like you know the Beckham documentary or anything yeah. like that. They're actually. It's kind of interesting because, like, John Le Carre, I mean, that's not even his real name. It's David Cornwell mm, is his real yeah. name. And this was a man who was a previous member of the British intelligence community. He was a member of MI5 and MI6. And really what the film is about is that he has kind of walled off so many parts of his life over the years that he is so kind of inscrutable that this, is, this was one of his final interviews with Errol Morris and he just says, I'm going to leave everything on the table, I'm going to tell you absolutely everything, I'm going to hide nothing from you but no matter what Errol Morris does, and you hear him talking there, every time he tries to kind of get to the centre of him to try kind of like get him in he's able to sort of obfuscate it in such a way that ultimately you kind of realise maybe there's actually nothing at the centre of him that he talks about like 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 Harry talks about it that you know one of his biggest regrets is is that he made MI6 seem competent and intelligent when they're (laughs) not at all and like he was like you have to remember he was on a first name basis with Kim Philby who was you know one of the ringleaders of the Cambridge Spiring and you know, he completely infiltrated, like, he just completely blew up British intelligence, like, and they never really recovered. Now, obviously, in the circus, if you've read Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, if you read the Carla trilogy, if you read all of these great books, you'll know that they actually, in the books, they are staffed by really, really intelligent people, like George Smiley is this complete mastermind and stuff, but in reality, they're all idiots. And he's talked about his regret in that, and that Perhaps he's kind of built up this sort of uh, deck of cards or paper house, if you like, but really there's nothing underneath it. And mm. that he is the same as well, that he grew up in such a kind of emotionally bereft house. Like his father was this con artist who, uh, you know, made fortunes, lost fortunes and all the rest of it. He, he himself, John Le Carre, was serially unfaithful to his wife and all the rest of it. Seemed to have a bit of a distant relationship with his kids. And that he is now sort of realising there's actually nothing underneath it. It's a brilliant documentary. Like, it is a little bit frustrating at times because you're kind mm. of hoping for that moment. It's kind of like the killer in that way. You're kind of hoping for that moment of satisfaction and it never comes. And it can be a little bit frustrating. But yeah. it's a bri- if you've read any of his books, it's a fascinating addendum to it, I think. Okay, yeah. I, yeah, I really do want to see that. It's so I good. Really did do. you watch like, A Perfect Spy? Like, did you watch any of the TV adaptations? No, actually. They're really good. Like, yeah. They're all on YouTube <clears throat> for free. Um, yeah. but okay, can, good to know. Yeah. But, um, but they, they intersperse clips from the TV adaptations and the film adaptations, like The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, mm. uh, the one with Richard Burton. That has that's cut in with his interviews as well. So it's a really interesting documentary. Okay, f- yeah. fantastic stuff. Uh, thanks to Brian and Fanula and Leslie, because uh, that's uh, pretty much all we have uh, time for today. And uh, if you've uh, also as well, uh, we're giving away, of course, um, uh, a, a two-night break here at the New Park Hotel. Uh, the winner is Nolene. Uh, she says the scariest person in Ireland is Liam Neeson, because he will find me and he will kill me. <laughs> Hopefully get your breakaway here before uh, that actually happens. Anyone who's ever been to uh, one of our outside broadcasts will know there's a a huge amount of people who put a huge amount of work in uh, to make all this uh, happen. Uh, Those people are Seifer O'Donovan, Jack Lawler, Josh Maher, Rachel Hogan, Alex Rowley, David Slevin, Paul Buckland, uh, Michael Culligan and Ashing Moore. Uh, Also, thank you to the four-star New Park Hotel. Inca Kenny, uh, Ashling Flynn and John Flynn are the owners. Niall Dunn uh, is the Deputy General Manager. Uh, Joanna Hendrick is 
is the Director of Sales and Marketing. Uh, Brita Bulger is the Events Manager. Sinead Keogh and Sean Reedy from the production team were here in Kilkenny. And of course, Marks and Spencers uh, for bringing us all here today. Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk.